Chapter 19 of The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter 19 Departure from the Fort, Arrival of Fitzpatrick and Party at the Crow Village, Hairbreadth Escape from a Massacre, Rescue and Restoration of Property to the Owners. Departure of the party, my return to the fort, escape from Blackfeet, defeat of the Crows. While staying at our camp on the Bighorn, a messenger arrived with the intelligence that Thomas Fitzpatrick was back upon the mountain, and that he wished me to visit him without loss of time. My affairs were in such a position that I could not possibly leave, but I sent my father and two of my best warriors to escort him into the village the next morning they returned with fitzpatrick and party to the number of thirty-five men and over two hundred horses they encamped a short distance out i visited the camp and was received with a cordial welcome i was introduced to a captain steward an english officer who had figured conspicuously as i was informed under the iron duke and was now travelling the far west in pursuit of adventure also to a dr harrison a son of the hero of tippecanoe and to a mr brotherton with several other gentlemen who were all taking a pleasure excursion while sitting in their quarters i observed some of the crows looking very wistfully at the horses belonging to our new friends knowing that the most incorruptible of indians have a moral weakness for horses i ordered some of my faithful dog soldiers to watch them i then invited the gentlemen of the village which invitation they readily accepted the visitors left at an early hour but fitzpatrick remained to talk matters over until quite late in the evening i offered him a bed in my lodge but he preferred sleeping in his own quarters shortly after his arrival fitzpatrick incidentally mentioned that the cheyennes had killed an entire party of crows but he admitted all mention of the part his men had taken in the massacre and that one of his men had been wounded in the affair he had also a horse that had belonged to one of the fallen heroes purchased by him of the cheyennes had he acquainted me with this circumstance when he first saw me the very unpleasant sequel that i am about to relate would have been avoided one of the crow braves was son to a member of the party massacred and he recognized his late father's horse this discovery had occasioned the scrutiny which i had remarked early in the evening but the cause of which i was in utter ignorance on the retiring of fitzpatrick's i lay down for the night i had not fallen asleep when the murdered brave son entered my lodge and addressed me medicine calf what must we do with these white men what must you do with them repeated i not apprending his meeting yes i say so why not take them into your lodges and feast them and give them bed to sleep on if they wish it no no that is not what i mean he said you know these are the white men who killed my father they have his horse here with them and a wounded man wounded in their fight with the crows he then left me to go as i supposed to his lodge and i thought no more of the matter 
I soon fell asleep and woke up no more till morning. On awakening, I heard a great rush or trampling of horses, and springing out of bed, I inquired of a score what was the matter in the village. Why, don't you know the whites are all dead? She made reply. The whites are all dead, repeated I, thunderstruck. I ran out and ordered my war horse to be got ready in a moment i next ran to the lodge where winter slept and found it filled with crows i asked what all this uproar meant i don't know said he i have wished to go to your lodge to see you but they would not let me leave they have been clamoring about thomas 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 all night at this moment fitzpatrick rode up with an indian behind him fritz i said i what in the name of god does all this mean where are your men they are all dead, I expect, by this time, he said he blankly. And I presume you have sent for me to murder me at your own discretion. When did you leave them? Were they alive when you left them? They were going down the river, and a thousand Indians in hot pursuit after them, he said. Go over to my father's lodge, I said, but stay till I return. I then mounted my war horse, being well armed, and addressed my father. I am mad, he said. I am going to die. He gave me the war whoop note so loud that my ears fairly tingled as a signal for my relatives to follow them. They gathered round. Go, said he, and die with the medicine calf. On I dashed in mad career for six or seven miles along the bank of the river till I came in sight of the men. I seemed to have traveled the space in the same number of minutes, for the horse flew with lightning speed upon his errand. He dropped dead beneath me in his prodigious exertions. He had burst a blood vessel. I ran forward on foot, shouting to Fitzpatrick's men, Run to me, run to me quickly. They heard me and hesitated at my summons. At length, one started and the others followed, running at their utmost speed towards me. A hill rose on each side the river, closing together and arching over the stream. At a short distance in advance of the party when I arrested their steps. In this pass, the crows had taken their position, intending to massacre the party as they attempted to force their passage. As they reached for me, I settled them around me, the crows charging from the hills upon us at the same time. I now saw my band of relatives and friends approaching us from the village. As the exasperated Indians came surging on towards us, I advanced towards them and ordered them to desist. They arrested their course. What do you want, they asked. Do you wish these whites to live? After you have killed me, I said, you can march over my dead body and kill them, but not before. They then wheeled and fell in with my party of relatives, who were fast arriving and encircling the whites. I then requested each man to mount horses behind my relatives and return with us to the village. All did so except Stuart. I requested him also to mount. No dead rascal, and any man that will live with such wretched is a dead rascal. I thank you for your compliment, I returned, but I have no time to attend to it here. Captain Stuart, said Charles A. Warfield, afterwards colonel in the United States Army, that's very unbecoming language to use at such a time. Come, boys, interposed Dr. Harrison. Let us not be bandying words here. We will return with them 
whether for better or for worse. After I had mounted the party, I borrowed a horse of one of my warriors and led them back to the village for temporary safety. I deposited the party in my father's lodge. After I had mounted the party, I borrowed a horse from one of my warriors. Fitzbarrow inquired of me, Jim, what in the name of God are you going to do with us? I don't know yet, I said, but I will do the best possible for you. I then called the dog soldiers to me and commanded them, together with little wolves, to surround the village and not suffer a single person to go out. They all repaired to their stations. I next took fifty faithful men and made a thorough search throughout the village, beginning at the extreme row of lodges. By this means I recovered all the goods, once in the possession of Fitzpatrick, in good condition, except his scarlet and blue cloths, which had been torn up for blankets and wearing apparel, but still not much injured for the Indian trade. I also recovered all his horses, with the exception of five, which had been taken to Bear's Tooth Camp. I had the goods well secured and a strong guard of my relatives placed over them. The reader may perhaps inquire what restrained the infuriated crows from molesting the rescued party on their way to the village. Simply this, when an Indian has another one mounted behind him, the supposition is that he has taken him prisoner and is conducting him to headquarters. While thus placed, the Indian having him in charge is responsible with his life for his security. If he fails to protect him, himself and all his kindred are disgraced and an outrage upon the prisoner is construed into pusillanimity on the part of the custodian. Prisoners are also safe while in custody in the village. Their inviolability is then transferred to the responsibility of the chief. This is Indian morals. I was informed subsequently that the Englishman, as soon as he approached me, cocked his gun intending to shoot me. It was well for him as well as his party that he altered his mind, for if he had harmed me, there would not have been a piece of him left the size of a five-penny bit. I was doing all that lay in my power to save the lives of the party from a parcel of ferocious and exasperated savages. His life depended by the slightest thread over the yawning abyss of death. The slightest misadventure would have proved fatal. At that moment he insulted me in the grossest manner. The language that he addressed to me extorted a look of contempt from me, but I had not time for anger. I was suspected of complicity with the Indian, or rather of having instigated the fiendish plot. No man of common sense could entertain such a suspicion. When he seized the part I took in the affair, had I conspired the tragedy, I had but to rest in my bed until the dead were consummated. Every man would have been killed, and no one but the conspirators have known to their fate. To be sure, I was in the service of the American Fur Company, and Fitzpatrick was trading upon his own account, but that could afford no motive to conspire his death. I had not the faintest objection to his selling everything he had to the crows, but they had nothing to buy with. 
they had disposed of all their exchangeable commodities but a short time since at the fort further i was personally acquainted with fitzpatrick with whom i never had an ill word and some of his party stood high in my regard dr harrison if only for his noble father's sake i would have defended at the risk of my own life they were all bound to me with the ties of hospitality and i have yet to hear of any action committed by me that would warrant the assumption of such deep perfidy i have been informed that captain stewart offered one thousand dollars to a certain individual to take my life i can hardly think the charge is true for the individual thus said to be bribed has had many opportunities of earning his reward and still i am alive after the goods were secured and the horses brought up it was discovered that captain stewart's horse a fine iron gray was missing it was traced to the possession of highball a very bad indian and i was informed that he had declared he would kill the first man that should come after him stewart valued his horse highly as well he might for he was a noble animal he was therefore very anxious to obtain him fitzpatrick had acquainted stewart that i was the only person in the nation that could procure the horse's restitution accordingly he visited me and said mr beckworth he missed it me that time can you get my horse for me i replied captain stewart i am a poor man in the service of the american fur company to sell their goods and receive the peltry of these indians the indians who has your horse is my best customer he has a great many relatives and a host of friends whose trade i shall surely lose if i attempt to take the horse from him should the agent hear of it i should be discharged at once and of course lose my salary well said he if the company discharge you for that i pledge you my word that i will give you six thousand dollars a year for ten years captain stewart is a man of his word and able to perform all he promises said fitzpatrick well replied i i will see what i can do i then dispatched an indian boy to highbull with the message that i wanted the gray horse he had in his possession the boy delivered his message and the indian retorted with an ugh which startled the boy almost out of his skin and he came bounding back again saying the indian was mad in a short time hibo came riding his horse and said medicine calf do you send for this horse i did well here he is take him back i said and keep him safe until i send for him steward was wonderstruck at this proceeding as our discourse was unintelligible to him if i could get my hand on the horse's neck he said the whole village should not get him away from me i was annoyed at his braggadocio and was glad the indians did not understand him fitzpatrick requested captain stewart to remain quiet saying beckworth has passed his word to you that you shall have your horse he will be forthcoming when you want him the next morning they prepared to leave the village the horses were all packed and everything in readiness am i to have my horse said captain stewart he will be here in a moment sir said i 
Highbold then rode the horse up to the pony and dismounted, giving me the reins. Now, sir, you can mount your horse, said I, delivering him into his owner's possession. He mounted and the party started. I took 150 of my choice dog soldiers and escorted them a distance of 15 miles before leaving them. I cautioned Fitzpatrick to keep on his journey for three days without stopping to encamp. I told him that the Indians were exasperated and the two villages were together and it was not in my power to keep them from following them. I was apprehensive they would dog them a considerable distance, but that a three days journey would place them in safety. Instead of following my advice, he encamped the following afternoon. Within an hour after his delay, almost all his horses were taken by the Indians, not leaving him enough to pack his goods. I afterwards learned that Stuart saved his gray horse. I saw the crows had made free with my friend's horses, for I saw several of them about the village subsequently. However, I was satisfied I had done my duty. I could not have done more to my own father or brother. Still, my life was sought after, and my character basely assailed. The fate of the Crow warriors I will mention episodically here, as I gathered it from Fitzgerald and afterwards from the Cheyenne. The party had encamped between two villages, having the Cheyennes on one side and the Sioux on the other. They were in utter ignorance of their dangerous proximity. Being quickly discovered by one of the enemy, he returned and alarmed his village, and dispatched a messenger to the neighboring village, and in a few moments our small band was surrounded by a force of fifty times their number. Their position was a strong one, being chosen in a deep hollow or gully. They received the assault with unflinching intrepidity and fought until they were all exterminated except their chief. They killed, they killing 34 of their foe. The chief seemed to wear a charmed life. Neither lead nor arrows could harm him. He advanced from his position and tantalized his foes. He invited them to come and kill him, saying that the scalps of his enemies made his lodge dark, and that he had ridden their horses till he was tired of riding. They were filled with admiration of his daring. They told him he was too great a brave to be killed, and that he might go and they would not hurt him. No, said he, pointing to his dead companions. You've killed all my warriors. They've gone to the land of the Great Spirit. Now kill me so that I may go with them. I am the little gray bull. Come and kill me. I ask not to live. My heart disdains your offer of mercy. My brothers and friends will avenge my death. He would frequently advance towards his swarming enemies as he approached. They retired. He then returned towards his dead companions and again defied them to come and kill him. He was eventually shot down, probably by a bullet fired by one of Fitzpatrick's men, who, being encamped with the Cheyennes, had joined them for the sport of shooting Indians. They were two small boys in a party of crows who went as moccasin carriers. They were taken prisoners and placed behind two warriors to be conveyed to the village. While on the way thither, 
each drew his knife and plunged it into the body of his custodian each killing his man the little fellows were cut to pieces in an instant which was their own choice rather than to be captive to the enemy when i returned from escorting fitzpatrick i informed the crows of the fate of their party but i withheld all mention of the participation of the whites there upon ensued another dreadful time of mourning when i parted from fitzpatrick and party they all appeared very grateful for their deliverance and if they had not lost their horses when they encamped i presume they never would have entertained other but friendly feelings towards me shortly after this occurrence we held a grand council relative to certain national affairs i then again proceeded taking winters and four warriors with me when we had approached within a mile of the fort i happening to be considerably in advance of the party in ascending a small hill when near the summit i peered carefully over and discovered a party of blackfeet not more than three hundred yards distance sitting by the roadside smoking their pipes i drew back my head for i saw one indian coming directly upon me and motioned my men to a ravine close by then dismounting i crept back to the brow of the hill and lay down flat until the indian's head came within sight i sprang instantly to my feet and shot him dead in less than a minute i had his scalp ran back and mounted my horse then riding to the summit of the hill i displayed the scalp to the indians who were advancing at their topmost speed as soon as they saw me they turned and fled thinking no doubt that i had a strong force lying in wait i rode on and overtook my party and we reached the fort without molestation or pursuit about two hours after the indians presented themselves before the fort and challenged us to come out and fight we hoisted the scalp i had just taken in answer to the invitation i consider we may thank my acquired habit of caution for our escape for had the indian surprised us instead of my surprising him it is more than probable that every one of us would have been killed we were detained at the fort for the space of eight days on account of the numbers of blackfeet prowling about they finally left and as soon as we were satisfied that the way was clear we loaded ten pack horses with goods and winters and myself taking two men each returned to the crow village the villages had separated during our absence long hair and his village having taken one direction and mine having taken another winters took long hair's trail and the goods i followed my village through the bad pass and overtook it at black panther creek i then went on to wind river trapping and hunting very successfully all the way the journey occupied about a month we went into winter quarters under wind river mountain at the mouth of Popoanche, Long Grass Creek. Here, after gathering a sufficient quantity of buffalo and elkhorns, we supplied ourselves with a large outfit of fine new bows. The horns are thrown into hot springs which abound in that region where they are kept until they are perfectly malleable. 
They are then taken out and straightened and cut into strips of suitable width. It takes two buffalo horns to make a bow of sufficient length. They are pieced in the center and riveted. Then they are bound strongly at the splice with sinew. Bows made of this material are equaled by none other except those made from the horn of the mountain sheep. While we were encamped here, numerous small parties of crows went to war without leave, and in almost every instant were defeated. On some excursions they were entirely destroyed. One party, consisting of thirty-nine warriors, led by the constant bird, a great war chief, went to the Blackfoot country, and every one of them was killed. They had killed and scalped one of the enemy whom they met alone and again journeyed on when they came suddenly upon a whole village of blackfeet and were themselves instantly discovered to save themselves they resorted to an ingenious device which certainly offered fair to save them on being discovered instead of retreating they kept on and entered the enemy's village pretending they came with authority to conclude a peace the Indians, putting faith in their mission, concluded peace accordingly. While thus engaged, proposing terms and smoking cozily, one of the Blackfoot squaws stole a sack belonging to them. After the departure of the crows, the sack was examined, and among its content was found the identical scalp they had taken a short time previously. Raising the war hoop, the Blackfeet assembled in great numbers and make an immediate pursuit after the Crows. They overtook them and massacred every one. This intelligence was brought by express from Fort Maria, the Blackfoot trading post, to Fort Cass, the Crow trading post. On receipt of this intelligence, there was another general scene of mourning and vowing vengeance. I used all the arguments that I could frame to prevent these mischievous guerrilla expeditions, but they would steal off in the night in spite of my entreaties or my denunciations, and I did not like to resort to punishments. Several of the high functionaries inquired of me to what cause I attributed such repeated disasters. I answered as follows. Warriors, the causes are clear enough. My medicine tells me the causes. Firstly, you robbed my white friends, stealing their horses away, and even attempting to take their lives when they were under my protection, and when you knew it grieved my heart to have wrong done to them. A second cause, you are continually acting contrary to the wishes of Arupu Ash, who went to the spirit land on account of your disobedience. I have also expressed the same wishes to you, telling you to apply yourself to collecting skins in order to have the wherewith to purchase the things you need. These, my orders, are openly disobeyed, and the great spirit is very angry with the nation for their thieving and disregard of the orders of their head chief. They then inquired what they should do to appraise the wrath of the Great Spirit. I answered again, warriors, to appease 
the just anger of the great spirit you must discontinue your war parties and remain peaceably at home for one moon you can then prepare a great sacrifice and do penance for that time and let the great spirit see that you really repent the evil you have committed by so acting you can recover the favor which the great spirit has evidently withdrawn from you by continuing in your obstinate ways you will assuredly be rubbed out as a nation the sacrifices that they offer on such occasion are curious one sacrifice is made by shaving the manes and tails of some of their best war horses and painting on their bodies a rude delineation of the sun they then turn them out but never drive them away and if they follow the other horses it is a sure sign that the great spirit is following them also i had become so sickened with their constant mourning which was kept up through the whole village day and night that i determined to take a small party and see if i could not change the face of affairs accordingly i raised fifty warriors and started for the cheyenne village near the site of the present fort laramie the first night we encamped on the sweetwater river the morning ensuing was clear and cold and we started across a plain twenty miles wide with neither trees nor bushes in the whole distance across this plain was a mountain which i wished to reach that night in order to provide ourselves with firewood and have a warm camp when we had traveled this desert about midway a storm came on which is called by the mountaineers a puderi these storms have proved fatal to great numbers of trappers and indians in and about the rocky mountains they are composed of a violent descent of snow hail and rain attended with high piercing wind and frequently last three or four days the storm prevented our seeing the object for which we were directing our course we all became saturated with the driving rain and hail and our clothing and robes were frozen stiff still we kept moving as we knew it would be certain death to pause on our weary course the wind swept with irresistible violence across the desert prairie and we could see no shelter to protect us from the freezing blast eventually we came to a large hole or gully from eighteen to twenty feet deep which had been made by the action of water into this place we all huddled and were greatly protected from the wind being exhausted with our exertions we wrapped ourselves as well as we could in our frozen robes and lay down how long we lay there i could form no idea when i attempted to stir it required the exercise of all my strength to free myself from the mass of snow that had fallen upon me while asleep i saw that if we tarried there it would be inevitable death to us all and it was still storming furiously i aroused my second-in-command and named a heap of dogs and told them that we must arouse ourselves and bestir our warriors or we should all perish no said he it is too painful let us stay here and all die together 
I told him that I should go at all risks and made a spring thereupon, he laying himself down again. I had not proceeded much more than three hundred yards when I came upon a gulch or dry creek in which was a drift pile composed of a large accumulation of dry wood. I made an opening and crawled in, then striking a fire I got it well burning and returned to my perishing warriors to relate my discovery. They arose, sh shook off the loose snow from the robes, and essayed to proceed, but many of them were so weak and stiffened they could not but crawl along. After getting thawed and comfortably warm before a blazing fire, I found there were two of our party missing. I returned with two or three others to search for them, and we had to dig away the snow to arrive at them. But the vital spark had fled. They were stiff and dead. We stayed by our fire, which increased in body and warmth for two days, by which time the storm having subsided, we returned home. The relatives of the lost warriors made a great mourning for them. When the friends of those who returned with me showered a presence and blessings upon me for having been instrumental in saving their kinsmen's lives, it was a time of intense cold. Our whole party were more or less frostbitten. My face and ears were severely frozen and were sore for a long time. The wild buffalo approached so near to our fire that we could shoot them without stirring from our seats. As an excuse for my ill success, I informed the crows that the wrath of the Great Spirit was not yet appeased. Soon after this catastrophe, I informed my people that I wished to wander solitarily for a space, to mourn for my two warriors who had perished in the snow. My real intention was to get to the fort and thus have a respite from the unceasing crying and howling that was kept up throughout the village. On making my intention known, two white men named Mildrum and Cross, who were staying in our village, desired to accompany me. We started accordingly, taking our squaw with us as a servant. On our second day out, we were surprised by a party of 250 Blackfeet. We took shelter in a, in a thicket of willows, resolved to make a brave stand and sell our lives for all they were worth. The squaw showed herself a valuable auxiliary. By taking care of our horses, six in number, and building us a little fort of sand behind which we stood in great security, watching our enemies as they ever and anon made their appearance, we were thus invested for thirty-six hours. The Indians hovering about and losing one of their number at every discharge, without daring to rush in upon us, which had they ventured upon would have proved our inevitable destruction. We were situated so close to the river that we could be supplied with water at all times by the squaw without incurring danger. The second night our besiegers, having wearied of their exertions, gave us comparative repose. Availing ourselves of the lull, we muffled our horses' feet with our capotes, cut to pieces for that purpose, and, stealing gently down the slope of the bank, 
we forded the shallow stream, made the best of our way home. We went whooping and galloping at full speed into the village, displaying nineteen scalps on various parts of our horses. Our victorious return created the most thrilling sensation throughout the village. Every face was washed. The scalp dance was performed the first time for two months, and the hilarity was universally indulged in. The great spirit's wrath was appeased, the tide had turned in favor of the crows, and a continuation of victory was predicted from this brilliant achievement. End of chapter 19